Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. We have a busy day lined up for you today. At the bottom of the hour, our good friend Josh Hammer is going to join us. Uh, we want to consult both his legal expertise and he is launching a new show that we want to tell you about as well. So we will do that with him. One of the smartest guys we know. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. Pop Culture Tuesday, next hour, we're going to look at the new Jason Statham film, The Beekeeper. And I'm going to warn you, mild spoiler warnings for this conversation. But if you saw that trailer and you thought, you know, am I missing something? Or is this like 80s schlock throwback right-wing revenge fantasy stuff? I've got good news. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And I'm reminded of uh, I'm reminded of an Ice Cube song where he talked about uh, walking in and uh, uh, to a public restroom and coming out feeling ten pounds lighter. That is how I felt coming out of the Beekeeper. Help, hope filled. I was hope filled. I mean, I just I felt like I could walk on air. I mean, the uh, the amount of adrenaline and stress uh, and angst that that film purged from me. It was a detox that was more than a movie experience. It was a detox. And don't get me wrong. The movie's awful. It's just dreadful. It's got some of the worst dialogue. Cheesiest, one of the cheesiest final lines I've ever heard. Ugh, I cannot wait to see it again. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Uh, coming up in Pop Culture Tuesday. And then uh, more seriously, though. Um... Beloved pastor Alistair Begg is back after getting a lot of heat for his comments encouraging a grandmother in his audience to attend her grandchild's uh, trainee wedding <clears throat> and all of the blowback he has received. And, and, and we were critical of it on our show. We did an overtime about it. What, about a week or two ago? It, it was. So you can go watch that at blazetv.com slash days. Well, he is back now uh, with a response and he is doubling down. And next hour, for idolatry or not, we're going to let you hear what Alistair Begg has to say. And I'm going to make the case that what Alistair Begg sadly is guilty of is not error. It's idolatry. And I, I will walk you through that next hour on the show. But if you guys don't mind, before we get to Aaron's montage, I was, you know, getting ready to jump on the Peloton this morning. <clears throat> and I, and you guys know I just kind of love you know, history and you know, I, the, the, the line history doesn't, you know, repeat it rhymes. I think it's the opposite. I think it doesn't just repeat, but it also rhymes, you know, like there's kind of, you know, uh, the biblical way of saying it, there's nothing new under the sun kind of a thing, you know? And, uh, I've been doing more, uh, stuff on, uh, eschatology, just out of curiosity, various views in my own private study time for an evergreen we have coming up later on this year. And of course, that gets us into, um, you know, first century Christianity and um, what was going on in Israel at the time. And, um, you know, what's the abomination of desolation and what wasn't, you know, and is it when was Revelation written and what wasn't, you know. And so I'm kind of I'm re rehashing some of these things I studied several years ago earlier in my faith walk. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. 
you, you talk about a culture where um, status pagans kind of invaded the culture. And they kind of tore down its statues and its memorials and of a great civilization, one that relied on divine providence as kind of its inspiration for being. And out of this, two groups of, of people to resist it emerge out of this conflict. Um, there's one group and um, they were very zealous about the restoration of <clears throat> nationalistic pride that was really their primary goal uh, to the point that, I mean, they, they couldn't even imagine how God would further his kingdom without the continued existence of this one specific landmass. Like they couldn't imagine how, how the, the, the world, the word could go on, how the world could go on really without this one specific country. Um, and so it, not just its existence, but its autonomy, like it had to be free to exist in the way that it was intended. And they were so convinced of this that, that they were even willing to debase themselves in pursuit of that mission. Uh, and, and they kind of viewed others that weren't as zealous as they were about it as kind of weaklings. I mean, I guess maybe we would say cucks, you know, in our kind of lingo, that's kind of how they viewed them. And then there was this other group of resistance that, that emerged, um, to the spirit of the age. And they saw that there were larger spiritual forces that were now at play. Something greater than the fate of one nation was at stake. Even a great nation like this one was at stake. And that this once great nation actually was now in this cultural peril. It was at this cliff of history because it had kind of forgotten that it had kind of lost its way. So they also aggressively resisted the pagan influence um, and invasion of their, of their culture and at tremendous risk for themselves. Many of them gave even their own lives in resistance to this. Uh, they were in defense of their cultural heritage too, but they did so in a manner that maintained their testimony of faithfulness to a higher realm or a, or a, or a higher kingdom. Uh, regardless of the fate of this one earthly kingdom that they also loved. They also loved this country, but they recognized that there was something greater at stake and that this country they loved's loss of that recognition is why it was now at stake. I mean, of course I'm, of course I'm speaking about um, uh, Jewish Christians and Jewish zealots and how they reacted to um, Roman statist pagan um, infiltration in the first century, right up really until the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the future emperor Titus. Uh, what else did you think I was talking about? I'm told, I'm told the people voted for the zealots by a two to one margin. Here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Confusion, the drone that killed three U.S. Army soldiers and wounded dozens more in Jordan on Sunday, approached the U.S. military outpost called Tower 22. Around the same time, an American drone was returning to the base, which led to uncertainty over whether it was hostile and caused a delay to the U.S. response. The enemy drone followed the American drone as it approached, but it's not clear whether the enemy drone intentionally followed the American one or if it was just a coincidence. 
The three U.S. soldiers killed in that attack were identified yesterday as Sergeant William Rivers of Carrollton, Georgia, Specialist Kennedy Sanders of Waycross, Georgia, and Specialist Brianna Moffitt of Savannah, Georgia. It's according to the Department of Defense. Secretary of State Antony Blinken had this to say yesterday about the state of affairs in the Middle East. I would argue that we have not seen a situation as as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973. United Parcel Service announced this morning it's cutting up to 12,000 jobs after what its CEO described as a disappointing year and forecasts ahead. In August of last year, UPS's labor union reached a lucrative deal with the company for a new contract, vastly increasing wages for many of its workers. Biden Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talked to ABC News about the state of the economy. How do you convince Americans and voters that those prices might not go back to where they were before the pandemic? Well, I think most um, Americans know that pri prices um, are not likely to fall. Learning Chinese today. Today's phrase is, can we get prices to stop going up, though, Janet? Checking in on the border where a Fox News photographer captured this moment near Yacumba, California, where you can see two human smuggling SUVs drop off groups of illegal aliens and then they trot around the border wall and enter the U.S. Reportedly, people from China, Turkey and India were in that group. And meanwhile, in Montana, a husband and wife in a small town there are reeling after their teenage daughter was taken from them, moved to Wyoming despite their protests, and is now scheduled to be moved to Canada, all because the couple refused to affirm the child's so-called gender identity. Krista and Todd Kolstad told the online publication Redux that the episode started last summer when the school the teenager went to called and said she expressed suicidal ideation, which led to a visit from Montana's Child and Family Services, which led to an ER visit to the hospital, which led to hospital staff affirming the child's wish to be referred to as a boy, which led to the teen being taken from the couple and moved to Wyoming for treatment. And now in just the past few days, the family has learned the teenager is being moved back to her birth mother in Canada, who they say has never had serious involvement with the girl's life. Montana's Republican governor, Greg Gianforte, chimed in on Twitter, saying he asked Montana's lieutenant governor to look into the facts of the matter on this case and assured everyone that everything was handled on the up and up. There's a lot more to that story, which you can read at Redux. That's R-E-D-U-X-X dot com. And finally, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was confronted by a group of pro-Hamas orcs as she was getting into her vehicle recently. In case you couldn't hear that, Pelosi tells the pro-Hamas orcs, quote, go back to China where your headquarters is. I'm not sure what to do with that, but that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Constitution Wealth, the Patriot's Choice in Wealth Management. Uh, let me ask you something. Do you try when you can? You can't always do it. But do you try to avoid shopping when possible with businesses that are out there to uh, offend, if not uh, end your values? Uh, that can be difficult to do, but a lot of you are attempting to do that when you can. So why not do the exact same thing with your investment and retirement funds? Uh, why invest in those exact same businesses? That's why you want Constitution Wealth. They can help you build a solid investment plan because hopefully you're still going to get to retire someday. And they can help you reduce those investments in ESG, DIE, I'm sorry, DEI, Freudian slip, uh, and CEI participation. Uh, and uh, take a look at maybe some other nefarious elements that uh, you might have your money in that you're unaware of. You can reduce your investments in woke corporations and by doing so help to fight the culture war with maybe your most powerful weapon, your money and 
your voice. This is the opportunity to help build the parallel economy by working with an investment firm comprised of professionals who are patriots just like you. Work with an advisor who shares your conservative patriotic values. Why work with anyone else? Go to constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. Sign up for a free consultation today when you do. That's constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. In the overtime today, um, we have a Twitter poll that is about to conclude. Um, It was revealed last night via a look at the expenditures of the Republican National Committee. Well, not not even just last year. It's only through November. I mean, so we're not even counting December through November of last year. The Republican National Committee somehow some way. I mean, this is Brewster's million stuff spent eighty six point two million dollars, eighty six point two million dollars. Does I mean, I just I have no idea what that was spent on. It, it certainly wasn't spent on a ballot harvesting operation. It certainly wasn't spent on securing elections. Um, I, I, I have no clue what that money was spent on. No idea. OK, so we asked the audience. Um, what did the RNC spend $86.2 million on last year? The choices being uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Um, prepping the 2024 autopsy. Remember that when uh, they did their 2012 autopsy? Remember that the idea was to uh, basically, um, after Romney lost, the only answer was to move further left and just become Democrats. And then a guy won the nomination in 2016, running on the most incendiary language we've ever seen and still won. Do you remember that? Isn't yeah. that where I'm not yeah. the enemy D s- yes. stems from? Yes. Yeah. For those that don't know, we have a new, you know, our, our audience has grown a lot the last few years. My only personal interaction with Rince, that's what we used to call him on the show, then uh, former RNC chairman, Reince Priebus, is he came up to me at CPAC. Uh, maybe the last time I've been to CPAC, it's, it's been a minute. Uh, and I felt this very slimy, effeminate hand uh, upon my shoulder. And of course, I turned around uh, to see uh, what a member of the Reptilia fam- phylum uh, this was. And lo and behold, it was uh, Rince. It was Reince Priebus. And, he, and, and, and then he starts walking away and he turns, he walks away and he says, I'm not the problem, Deese. That's what he yelled out in the hallway at uh, the Gaylord there in D.C. and uh, Washington, D.C. At, uh, at, the, at CPAC. That's what Todd is referencing. All right. So did they spend it on prepping an autopsy for 2024? How about doing oppo research on their own grassroots? Why right? we got to you know, go after the people that you know, we supposedly represent? Uh, or my personal favorite, Nick Cannon's child support, because that's about what it would run. OK, so um, we've got the results for you coming up today in the overtime. And uh, we will debate and see which of those options uh, you chose and discuss maybe which one you should have. That'll be in the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you can go to become a Blaze TV subscriber at a discount so you never miss any of our exclusive content. Or if you're already a subscriber, blazetv.com slash dace is where you will be able to watch that overtime later today. And with that, we now turn to Aaron's montage. So our theme this year is Dominion. Um, control what you can control. All of us have some dominion. We're human beings made in the image of the most powerful being in the cosmos. We're the only beings in the cosmos made in his image, at least as far as we know. So all of you within the sound of my voice have some dominion, some sphere of influence that you are in charge of or that you can influence that you can directly impact. 
You know, we had a powerful story yesterday with courage as a habit. They went to a state where we have really almost no political agency whatsoever. Like Maine, where the Republicans there are anxious to demonstrate they're not bigots, so will often move further to the left than the Democrats. And they managed to stop a tranny trafficking bill in committee by unanimous vote. We all have some dominion. We all do. Something. Something that requires our consent. Something that, re, that, that takes in and absorbs our influence. We all do. And to focus our energies there. Now, did I say to exclusively concentrate your energies there? Is that what I just said? No. No. I said to focus or prioritize your energies there. What we have often done, frankly, is um, the pyramids inverted. The tips at the bottom. The areas we have the least amount of influence is where we focus our most of our attention. You're going to listen to a ton of other conservative shows today that'll go into the nuances of um, Trump's attorney's most recent filings and E. Jean Carroll and what she said with Rachel Maddow last night at just a complete clown show. And I'm probably going to agree with all of it, but how much of that do we have any influence over at all? Not, we don't have any influence over at all. And we have to redeem the time for the days are evil. To paraphrase Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor in the first Superman film, time is the one thing they're not making any more of, okay? Once it's gone, it's gone. Don't get it back, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. So think about where can we prioritize our time? And I, and I want to say this specifically to every parent and grandparent in this audience. That story that Aaron just ran down for you of that Montana couple, if that can happen in Montana, I promise you it can happen Anywhere, absolutely anywhere in this country, anywhere. Let me say this again. If that can happen in Montana, I promise you it can happen anywhere in this country, anywhere, absolutely anywhere. This is my encouragement for all of you, either watching or listening today. So within the, within eyesight or the sound of my voice, whenever you're tuned into this, if you are tuned in live right now, or you're listening via podcast later, or, you know, uh, maybe a later date, whenever you are listening or watching this, please do yourself and your children and grandchildren a favor. Do not let the sun go down without knowing What are the laws in my state and community where this stuff is concerned? Where are we at in my state or community with parental rights? How much is my state or community funded, particularly my Republican Party? You know, we had the whole thing. We were trying to figure out how Christy Nome coming out of COVID, she was one of our heroic governors during COVID, mm -hmm. right? And then the first, remember the very first fight after the COVID fight was the tranny fight that she had in her state. Remember right. this? No, of course. And she completely just folded and buckled on that. Do you remember? Yes. And, and then later that, and we were like, wow, that was like way out of nowhere. 
And then like members of her staff are like texting me and, and other people trying to spin this like mm-hmm. it was, yeah. you, know, you know, do you remember all this? Oh, yes. This was early 21. And then later in the year, she was actually telling people in her state, hey, um, if you don't want to work at a company that is going to make you take a poison shot, go get another job. And we're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa here. Like, what in the world are we, where, where did this come from? Right. Do you remember this? Yes. And then you find out, you do a little research and you find out entrenched economic interest there in her state, big, far, big, you know, medical people, pharma people. You see what I'm saying? There's always a trail guys. Every time, every single time, every time. But, but I promise you getting the answers to these questions. And now, right now, right now, is more important than tuning into the rest of this show. Tuning into Jesse Waters tonight to find out if uh, uh, Taylor Swift is is a Pentagon asset. I promise you it is. Anything else in this industry that you're going to consume, including me, is not as important as finding out what are the laws of your community and state where this is concerned, how aggressively is your school district pushing this stuff on your kids and grandkids? Find that out, please. Find it out today. Don't let the sun go down without at least taking a step into getting answers to those questions. If this can happen to a family in Montana, it can happen anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. I was just in Montana about a year ago. Year and a half ago, actually, summer of 2022, speaking at a GOP event there. The state attorney general's uh, top deputy was my driver. As he drove me to the event, I asked him, I said, hey, what do you guys want me to talk about? He said, well, we frankly kind of, you know, our, we've got a, maybe uh, both our senators are going to be here. Or one guy who wants to be senator, Matt Rosendale, congressman's going to be here. Lots of donors going to be here. So we're, we're kind of just hoping that uh, you're going to let her rip. And they paid me to do that. <laughs> okay. That's Montana, guys. If it can happen in Montana, it can happen anywhere. You're not safe. This is a hydra. Do your research. How aggressively does your school, does your local school board, the local high school, middle school, hell, elementary school, in your neighborhood, how aggr- or the neighborhood your kids, or your, if it's your grandkids, they're going to. How aggressively do they push this? What would happen if your child came home and said, I was going to do this, and you tried to stop them? How would your state react? Get the answers to these questions. It's more important, folks, way more important. Then consuming more political porn, more let's get our jollies, more own the libs, more the libs are the real racists. More, there's enough of the, that content will be there tomorrow. I, will, will we produce more of it tomorrow? For sure. For sure. We're, are we still going to do another show tomorrow where I we rant and rave so. about something? Yes. We hope so. We'll see. You never know. But that's the plan right now. You know what I'm saying? Everything else that you want to consume, okay, for turds and giggles. We'll all be here tomorrow. Well, they're, they're not going to stop pimping, you know, pumping this stuff out. It's all going to be here tomorrow. Today. Go get answers to those questions today. Way more important. That's my one big thought of Aaron and Aaron's entire montage. 
Take dominion of that which you have dominion of. What's going on in your backyard with this stuff? And don't think, hey, my, you know, we, my state voted Trump plus 20. My district voted Trump plus... No, 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 no. Nope. Nope. Be a citizen, not a consumer. Be a victor, not a victim. Find out. And then find out if you've got to, if, if you've got to get some laws and stuff changed. While your legislature's in session right now, and it's the end of January, probably before their funnel date, when they'll tell you, well, it's too late, we can't talk about it, because that's what they'll tell you next month, probably. Now, do it right now. Anything else you might involve yourself in culturally, politically, any other content you may consume culturally, politically, including this very show, is not nearly as important as doing that work. Stat. You're not safe. None of us are. And if it can happen in Montana, it can happen anywhere. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, if you need something to do in Iowa on that front, you are in luck. Because uh, tomorrow, a bill proposed uh, by legislator uh, Jeff, Lif- Jeff Shipley will take... Uh, will make sexual identity, which is currently part of the Civil Rights Code, it will take it out. Amen. Because this is, we, we need to defend reality on this. If you, I said more on a podcast recently called uh, Iowa Standard, a, a local guy named Jacob Hall, uh, who does great work at the Capitol covering this kind of stuff. All hands on deck for this stuff. If you're an Iowan and believes in this, get a hold of Jeff Shipley and ask him how you can help. I've already provided my testimony, which I've shared on the show, how after my daughters participated in Save Girl Sports, it was an assault on them, multiple, pe- multiple students from the Gay Straight Alliance there. Uh, suspended for bullying, but then they kept going and the teachers just flat out told us unless there's a threat of violence, we're not going to prosecute this as bullying anymore. The cops are called on me twice by the uh, one by the gay straight alliance teacher. I was sent two cease and desist letters. No charges ever filed or anything like that because this was just about rank intimidation. They are going to make you bow. And now my kids go elsewhere. I'm a Catholic refugee at uh, Des Moines Christian School. So Right now, you get a chance in Iowa to say this sexual identity cult, it gets stripped out. We're going back to reality. Enough of this chaos. Call legislator Jeff Shipley and ask how you can kelp. The, the, tomorrow, Wednesday, is the committee hearing. All hands on deck. You know, <clears throat> you would think Montana, Wyoming, the two states involved in that story would be prime bug out locations in, cl- in case bleep hits the fan. No. Yep. Yep. There's no escaping the long arm of the spirit of the age. There are more gun owners per capita, Aaron, in Montana than any state in the union, by the way. Yeah, that's that's the lesson here. And these parents actually did know the laws of Montana where it's illegal to uh, give uh, kids uh, surgeries, meatball surgery, in order to um, affirm their gender or chemicals in order to affirm their gender. Now, these parents... Uh, were uh, assured after the hospital stint that um, that the most likely option for treatment for their daughter would be somewhere in Montana. They were concerned about Wyoming because it wasn't quite as clear in Wyoming what those laws were. They were assured, they were assured, they were assured up until the day that she was supposed to go, and then they were told, nope, we're taking your daughter to Wyoming after all. And 
for all intents and purposes, they, they haven't had custody since. That's a state, by the way, there's like eight Democrats in the entire state legislature in Wyoming, yeah. just so everybody knows that. Okay. Yeah. You can't escape this. You cannot. You either fight or they're coming for you. What's your plan? What's your plan? You best start making plans now before you start making plans out of whatever camps they put us in, in what seems to be not the too distant future. Future, And that's, I mean, Greg Gianforte or Fort, whatever his last name is, that is just peak corporatist meathead Republican right there. Yeah, I asked, this is a really, really tough case. I asked my lieutenant governor to look into this and man, everything was on the up and up. There's no, you just can't turn off from this. You can't find your private Idaho or your private Wyoming or your private Montana because this was this was a small town in Montana where this happened. And I would say as well, policy wise, it's time to start exerting some pressure on hospitals, changing some hospital policy as well, because this is where things went off the rails is that ER visit to the hospital where the hospital, they acknowledged that they couldn't actually do any surgeries or chemical treatments, but they were told, hey, social transitioning is a gray area. So we're going to start pursuing that policy wise. You need to start asking questions of your hospitals as well. Amen. Do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. I, I, I can't imagine, given how much this cancer has metastasized, whatever time, and we all have a million things going on, whatever time you have devoted today to address cultural, social issues, use that time to get answers to, this, to these questions. Be ready. Something wicked this way comes. More in a moment. Back here on the Steve Day Show. By the way, I went and looked it up. The last time, Aaron, you were talking about the mass layoffs at UPS... And stop, stop and think about how much of this culture is consumed right now economically with stuff that I just order online and is delivered for me, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Amazon is, is breaking into a lot of that market itself, doing its own deliveries. But still, it's not like there's a slowdown in, in, in at-home deliveries in, in post-COVID America. Fair? Okay. Yep. And so when you have a company the size of UPS doing mass layoffs, that doesn't happen all the time. Went and looked it up, just out of curiosity. It was a hunch. Turns out my hunch was right. The last time UPS did layoffs this significant, 2009. Notice a lot of these benchmarks of what's going on right now economically kind of compare with 2009. Is that? But the stock market's uh, all time high. Of course. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, that's another reason why you might want to get a hold of our friends over at Birch Gold. All right. Uh, protect your portfolio by uh, diversifying with gold via Birch Gold. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors. And even those dreaded central banks, how did they get around inflation? How did they survive economic de- government, economic debasement schemes that uh, uh, crushed uh, people like us? Well, one of the ways is using gold as a hedge of an, uh, as a hedge against those kinds of schemes. Now, you can own it in a tax sheltered IRA with the help of Birch Gold. Just text Steve to 989-898. 
989-898 and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold right now. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. And the best part is you don't have to pay a penny out of pocket with Birch Gold with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of satisfied customers. Text Steve to 989-898. That's text Steve to 989-898. We welcome in our good friend, Josh Hammer, editor-at-large at Newsweek, one of the smartest guys we know. Now, most of the people we know are pretty dumb, Josh, so that's not a great compliment, but in the land of the blind, brother, you are the one-eyed man, so congratulations on that, my friend. How are you? Steve, it's always a pleasure to join you. I'm not sure that, that I can continue to take these gracious compliments the way that you've been dishing them out, but uh, you know, for now, I'll take it, I guess. Brother, just wait till I actually mean them sincerely. And then we'll see how uncomfortable it gets. All right. All right. So there's some things we wanted to talk to you about today to consult your legal expertise. But before we do, you're launching a new show. I want you to tell our audience about it. Yeah. So we just launched yesterday morning a new podcast called America on Trial. It's a daily podcast via the first. So it'll be 15, 20 minutes in your inbox or your podcast feed every morning, kind of just going through the legal headlines of the day with a with a focus primarily on the 2024 presidential election, because that's really what everyone wants to talk about and what everyone cares about. And properly speaking, it's obviously an incredibly important election. But, you know, occasionally we'll go a little off the beaten path. We'll talk about major Supreme Court cases. We'll talk about big legal issues in general. So I'm going to do a, a daily around the horn segment, we're calling it, where I'll, I'll touch base on all of the big trials, what's happening here with Fonnie Willis, with Jack Smith, what's happening with Hunter Biden's gun tax crimes, 14th Amendment ballot access, all this stuff. And then I'll do a deep dive on an issue every single day. So yesterday we dove into whether the punitive damages levied against Trump with respect to E. Jean Carroll are even constitutional in the first place because the Supreme Court via the 14th Amendment has been cracking down on excessive punitive damages for a long time now. And then this morning, to kind of give an example as to what won't be necessarily election specific, I talked about the situation at the, at the border with Texas, you know, Scalia in, in Arizona versus United States. What is sovereign? What does it mean to be sovereign? Things like that. So it's a fun podcast. Go ahead and check out and subscribe. You know, shameless plug, America on Trial with Josh Hammer. America on Trial with Josh Hammer. Where can people subscribe to that? Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, good stuff. Well, congrats, my man. Um, all right, let's get into a couple of items uh, that I, I, I wanted to talk to you about that are more that are topical right now. Um, not that any, not that they should take my advice. They just kicked my ass. So no one asked me for it either. But over the weekend... Uh, I got uh, a text first thing Saturday morning from Mark Levin saying, read this. All right. So when Mark Levin texts you at 7 a.m. on a Saturday and says, read this, you freaking do it. OK, so I read it. All right. And it's a piece. Matt, is it Taibi or Talibi? The guy that did all the um, Twitter files for Elon Musk. Um, he's kind of if you don't know who it is, you know, he's kind of a I know you do. But for people in the audience, kind of a Glenn Greenwald, Brett Weinstein, Joe Rogan, classical liberal kind of is RFK Jr. type. Is that fair? Kind of a description. Yeah. And fair. and he, he wrote this piece very exhaustive about how they began democrats began setting up this sort of lawfare failsafe mechanism for the 2016 election but really didn't have it in place uh and, and fully are you know weaponized until 2020 and they've only deepened it now in the last four years and i mean this thing's very well sourced and it's very well researched and even talks about what they're willing to do to rfk jr so it's much broader than just who the gop nominee is which in this case will be donald trump 
And uh, that's and, and so Mark got that circulating amongst a few of us here at the Blaze uh, over the weekend. And uh, in one of the discussion chat groups I'm in, I was asked what I would do about this. And I, I said, I, I don't believe the runway of an election cycle, even one that's going to be as long as this one, provides you the ability to thwart this. I mean, you're not going to shame these people like there's there's no amount of sunlight we could provide. Right. If if, if Michael Hayden is going on CNN and saying the things that he's saying or tweeting out the things he's tweeting in public. There's not like the amount of like if the Daily Wire, the first Fox, the blaze, if we all concentrated our firepower at Michael Hayden, all we all he would do is get a bigger book advance. You know, nothing would change. Right. We're not going to not going to shame these people out. You have to win this election and then use the wield the power that that the office provides to get rid of these elements or at least try to put a dent in them. And so that that led to a broader conversation about what I would do to win this election. And since I spent two hours in this conversation, I decided I didn't want to waste that for nothing. So I shared some of this with the audience yesterday. And again, nobody on Team Trump should take my advice on anything. Just kick my ass. All right. So take this with a with a kilowatt, not a pound, a kilowatt of salt. But one of the four things that I said yesterday, I want to get your take on with that as a preface. I said they absolutely have to upgrade their attorney game. They absolutely have to do this and they need to find someone. It, can't, it won't be Bill Barr again, but a Bill Barr level of figure that John Roberts respects They need to get that guy on cable television now. He needs to be preemptively making the case that the court's integrity is at stake as well. If they do not hear Trump's appeal of the January 6th case, if they let it go by the wayside by the end of this this uh, this court period uh, term on June 30th, which means they could put him on trial the very next day, okay, or any time at all this summer or fall leading up to the uh, election, that this is a clear a clear attempt at election interference. The court has to hear this appeal, and of course, if they do, that likely would delay that case until after the election, okay? But it's got to be a voice that Roberts respects, has to make the case in public that the credibility of the Supreme Court is on the line, all right, as well to allow this obvious amount of meddling and election interference because that is a potentially lethal case to Trump's reelect. well, it is a reelect uh, to his reelection campaign, but it's got to, it can't come from even a Josh Hammer, a smart guy like you. It's got to come from someone that on an institutional level, somebody like John Roberts has respect for. Your thoughts on that? Well, I'll start with the last point you made, which is that John Roberts definitely does not respect me. So he definitely has to have a lot more gravitas and and institutional backing than that. Steve, I agree with basically everything that you just said. I want to underscore one point, which is just the side, the, the fact that our side is just consistently, our side, broadly speaking, we can you know define what it means to mm-hmm. be our side. Like you, I was very much Team DeSantis in the primary, but the right, more generally speaking, you know, we are just consistently outlawed when it comes to this thing. Steve, uh, when I first started Newsweek, I started in May 2020, just after COVID started, and one of my first tasks was to have this debate of the week, where I would get opposing op-eds. We actually have a debate of the day now Newsweek. I have since switched roles. I no longer control it. But back then when I started doing this debate of the week, this was June 2020. So it was one month after I started my job at Newsweek. I had a debate on mail-in ballots. And we had Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation, who has been doing yeoman's work on the issue of voter rolls, voter integrity, cleaning up the voter rolls, and things like that. He's been, Hans been, has been on this beat for 20, 25 years now. And back then in June 2020, you can Google it right now, this Newsweek op-ed he wrote, he said, he was sounding the alarm. 
He said this is a big problem, and the right does not know what's about to happen in a few months here as we get closer to the November 2020 election, and we need to start lawyering up right now and filing preemptive litigation in the various states. So I, I was one of those as well, who, after reading Hans's piece, was like, wow, the, he makes a lot of really good points here. We really should be in court right now. We should be litigating a lot of this, not after the fact, mm -hmm. as the Trump team kind of half-assedly tried to do all too often after 2020, but before the fact. And unfortunately, Steve, ever since the 2020 election, you know, I've still been screaming to people, both lawyer groups and non-lawyer groups, well, what has our side actually done about it? Now, to be fair, some red states have passed some strong voter integrity legislation. Florida, where I live, Texas, Iowa, I'm less familiar with, but I would be surprised if you guys haven't passed anything. I'm sure you have. I mean, a lot of the red states have passed good legislation. On the other hand, if you look at the swing states, you know, Georgia, Arizona remain a mess. Wisconsin, we lost a major, major Supreme Court seat. Was Therefore, it's a 4-3 left-controlled Supreme Court there in Wisconsin. So I'm terrified. I am terrified to this day of all of the lawfare when it comes not even necessarily to the Trump prosecutions and all that, but just necessarily, I'm just talking here about mail-in balloting, voter fraud, and the very notion that Republicans have to win outside of the margin of error. You, ha you, you have to win by a large enough percentage where all of this apparently has to be able to just erase it with a, with a pencil eraser because, again, we're just not on top of our game here from a legislation perspective or a lawyer perspective. On, on the point about getting a Bill Barr figure to John Roberts, I, I would just underscore the the point that you're making by trying to emphasize to the audience here. John Roberts is exactly the kind of person who cares what the media says about mm -hmm. him. You know, there are actually a lot of justices on the court. Brett Kavanaugh is infamous for this. I'm not going to go into my sources, but Brett Kavanaugh has been infamous going back to his time on the D.C. Circuit as someone who pays a lot of attention to what bloggers, people on Twitter, talking heads like me and you, what people say about him. He is well known for this. But John Roberts is the king of it. There is no one on that court who cares more about what the people say about him and whether they will like him than the Chief Justice John Roberts. So, yes, you absolutely need to get someone who's probably a bit better of a lawyer than Alina Haba to give just but one example there. You'd have to get someone out there who is making the case right now and not making the case in a granular case-by-case -case basis, kind of like what I'll be doing on this new podcast, but rather making just a broader case that this, with all this unprecedented lawfare, if the court is not going to get involved here, if they're just going to try to stay apolitical and you know wipe their shoulders clean there, they're actually going to be doing the exact opposite, which is that in the end, they will only be abetting more and more of this, frankly, unpatriotic and more un-American lawfare in the future. So I agree with your bottom line on both takes, but the, the getting in front of the courts before they act thing is so, so important. We literally just saw it happen in 2020, and Steve, I have no idea other than some of those red states that I just name-checked, I have no idea what our side has done to prepare for the onslaught that could potentially happen in that respect in 2020 or 2024. All right. Three minutes to answer a very complicated question here for number two. What happens if the Supreme Court attempts to order? Let, let's say we continue this standoff at the Texas border. Biden nationalizes the National Guard there. Um, you know, you have uh, Greg Abbott calls out the Texas Guard, State Guard, sheriffs, deputizes locals. All right. What he does. And there's a standoff. Who has this authority at the border? And the Supreme Court issues an explicit order telling Texas it has to stand down and permit this invasion because this jurisdiction belongs to the federal government, which is kind of what they did to Arizona about 10 years ago. Yes. If you remember that ruling. OK, at, at what point? Is there could the, could the court issue an order 
that we would say that clearly is in violation of the efficacy, the intended efficacy of the Constitution using the language of Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 78. We're not doing it. We're carrying on. And if people disagree with us, we have this thing called elections. They can vote us out and say, we'd rather put people in there that will do everything the Supreme Court tells them to do. But we're not going to permit this to the people of Texas any longer. At what point does that line need to be drawn, do you think? So it's very similar to Arizona versus United States. I actually cited Justice Scalia's opinion in that piece in my column that I wrote on this on Friday. I talked about it in my podcast just this morning. So, yeah, Arizona versus United States is the relevant case here. Look, it's worth fleshing out, Steve, that the actual judicial order of the court issued last week, which, by the way, not just Roberts, but Amy Coney Barrett went wobbly on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is another big problem. Let's table that for a conversation another time. Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, none of them even nearly as solid as Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas. But holding that aside for now, the, the Supreme Court's actual order only said that U.S. Border Patrol can go and snip the wire fencing that Greg Abbott has had his Department of Public Safety put up. They were silent. They said nothing about new wire fencing that Texas can put up. So in in practice, what this amounts to is something of a Mexican standoff, pun intended, about Mm -hmm. who will drop their guns first. Mm -hmm. And if I were a betting man right now, I would bet on Texas because the American people are overwhelmingly with the state of Texas on this standoff. Joe Biden's approval rating on immigration is 25, 30 points underwater. I think that he's bluffing. I think that Abbott should continue to call his bluff and just put up new wire fencing. But I will answer your question. At what point, even if the order would specifically say that Texas cannot do it, look, Steve, uh, Daniel Horowitz and I are probably like the two most vocal, passionate people in the right of center media space against judicial supremacy, which is the idea that the courts decide every question for everyone at all times there. Now, if you have an order where you are a named party to a lawsuit, that is the limit of the judicial power of which Article 3 of the Constitution speaks. If you are a named party and you are named in an order, then yes, you have to abide by the court actions, but you don't have to take it a millimeter further. This is what Abraham Lincoln did to the Dred Scott case. So anyone who would not be a specifically named party is not technically bound by that judgment. But that's not actually apropos here for the Texas litigation because Texas can continue to put up new wire. The court was silent on that matter. Great stuff, Josh. Appreciate you as always, man. And one more time, tell people about the new show. Yeah, it's America on Trial with Josh Hammer. You can get it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Steve, you're a great American, a patriot, my friend. I look forward to seeing you soon. You got it, man. Same to you, brother. Thank you. All right, thoughts on uh, the conversation we just had with Josh, Josh, specifically since we spent the most time on it. The the need of the Trump team to get somebody, because if it sounds like Steve, you sound like you're lobbying John Roberts, not on the basis of legality, but um, political headwinds. That's exactly what I'm advocating. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think John Roberts necessarily cares about the legality of this, but primarily uh, the political headwinds. Thoughts on that? I'm as concerned as I was yesterday because... The two of you, uh, as smart as you both are, did not exactly provide us strategic calculus. This is not complicated. It's it's how he ran his whole White House for four years. It's why we stopped reading the Scott Atlas book on another issue. He's not going to change on this. Yeah, that's why. That's my reaction. When we talk about, hey, uh, could we could we do this? Could we do that? Is just kind of a shrug at best. I mean, that's sound advice, but that's not really that's not really currency in um, in that world. You know, people can always change, but uh, that's not really currency in that world. As far as uh, the commentary on on what's going on at the border, um, I, I 
I hope the Biden administration blinks first. I'm not holding out much hope for that. Um, but uh, again, I think Daniel Horowitz counted, pointed this out earlier this week, is that what we're talking about with Shelby Park in Eagle, Eagle Pass, Texas, is like one and a half miles of the mm-hmm. border. So mm-hmm. a lot more needs to be done. That's maybe a good start. What we saw last week maybe a good start. But man, there's, there's a lot more that needs to be done at the border, starting with instantaneous deportations on, on the part of uh, Texas. When we come back, idolatry or not, featuring uh, one of our most beloved pastors, Alistair Begg. We'll get to that in a moment. Right back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, uh, Instagram, and TikTok. That's again, D-E-A-C-E. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you like the show, particularly on iTunes. Our goal is to get over 10,000 there this year. We're approaching 9,500, so keep those coming, please. And uh, they help the show to grow. Do a couple times. Now, if you can, if they'll let you, maybe maybe four or five. Uh, and just pretend you're a Democrat ballot harvester in Philadelphia County. Fair? <laughs> Let's do that. We, we, I didn't say we needed 10,000 people to give us five-star reviews. Is that what I said? No. No, I just said we wanted 10,000 five-star reviews. <laughs> they, can come, they, can come from, they can come from seven of you. Uh, at DaceLover14 at gmail.com. At DaceLover15 at gmail.com. Yeah, 11 p- hey, hey, 11 p.m. <laughs> 11 p.m. On, on December 31st. We can stop the counting and go back and, you know, sound the, uh, uh, the bat uh, signal Correct. Uh, for, uh, uh, for reviews on iTunes. Yes, we, just, we don't have the five-star reviews we need yet, so we need you to just keep uh, submitting, even if it's the same one. Same three of you all the time. Uh, and then hit subscribe, or if you're on iTunes, follow. And that way, every single time we do a new episode, it'll show up in your feed every single time. So uh, about two weeks ago, Alistair Begg, one of uh, the West's beloved preachers, and he should be. Uh, he has been and continues to be uh, a faithful man of God and has preached on very difficult subjects over the course of his career, like homosexuality and abortion, for example unabashedly um uh, he was even the theological keynote speaker at uh, this year's family leadership summit and he was here in here in, here in des moines and he was incredible he did a radio show uh, about uh, two weeks ago and it was actually back in september or was it back in september yes. i'm sorry it for, just what, went viral thank recently. you thank yeah. you for that clarification uh and he was asked by a grandmother about attending the tranny wedding i, I because i don't know the gender now grandson granddaughter it was okay. a granddaughter granddaughter all right um and he he told her basically to show christian kindness by going provided that they know your view of what they've done is wrong you should go anyway and even bring a gift and this has created, once this clip uh, came about, 
Um, this has created quite a stir. And I, I mentioned in the overtime that we did on this about uh, a week and a half ago, so you can go to blazetv.com slash Dace and watch that. It reminded me very much of what happened with Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, at the end of his uh, of his race. Um, and, I mean, he's the Kelsey Grammer character in Jesus Revolution as Chuck Smith. That's who I'm talking about. And he also was doing a radio show and a woman ca- called and said, you know, I'm having a very difficult pregnancy and I don't know what to do and the kids might be born with health issues. And he counseled her. Hey, some uh, some uh, you know uh, pregnancies are okay to terminate. It's okay to have an abortion sometimes, and people just could not believe Chuck Smith said this. Uh, we saw Pat Robertson at the end of his life uh, have a lot of moments where you're just like, "What was that?" Right? I mean, that, those were always well chronicled. Okay, yes. and so this with Alistair Begg kind of reminded me of that. Uh, the blowback was tremendous, and in the clip you're about to see, Alistair Begg responds to his critics. This clip we, Aaron, is about eight minutes. Yeah, so this was originally uh, posted by a great follow on Twitter, and I don't know why I hadn't been following them until about uh, uh, the end of the year when you sent over a list of suggested followers uh, or follows for for Todd and I. Protestia, spelled just like it sounds, Protestia on on Twitter. And if I could just, I probably should have told you uh, that I'd do this uh, off the air, but if I could just set up this clip to give it a little bit more context. The original clip was about 13 minutes. I edited it down lightly to about eight minutes. I wanted to give him maximum um, context benefit of the doubt. And to put a little bit more context on uh, the original clip that you were talking about and that we responded to, uh, the Truth For Life program that that was at the end of was discussing one of Alistair Begg's new books. And he brought up this um, example of a grandmother that you just laid out, Steve, uh, and that's kind of where that went from. So this clip begins with him quoting from that book as kind of giving, uh, in his mind, more context to why he responded the way that he did. Are you ready to play it? Yes. Uh, we And as Aaron said, this clip's going to be a little longer than what we would normally play, eight minutes, because we wanted to capture as much of his context as possible to be as fair to a faithful preacher as we possibly could be. So we want to hear what he has to say first, and then we'll come back and discuss our thoughts for idolatry or not. Who reject God and his ways. That undermines what God says glues societies and families together. What glues societies and families together? The reality of conjugal love in a heterosexual monogamous marriage that produces children. They reject God, they reject his ways, they do it publicly, and they do it in a fashion that makes it absolutely clear that they have no interest in it, while, quotes, mocking Christians as bigots. That's the context. Naturally, I do not like them, quote. But I am called to the supernatural work of loving them, not ignoring them, not avoiding them, but actively seeking to bless them. I am not called to walk on past them like the religious leaders in the parable of the Good Samaritan. No, I am called to be like the Samaritan who is the classic illustration of loving and lending and doing good without a calculator and without the expectation of a payback. Now, that is then the context when a grandmother phones me up in tears and gravely concerned for the circumstances in relationship to one of her grandchildren. I'm not quoting the book to her. I'm only responding to her. She wrote a long letter. It sat on my desk for a long time. This happens to us all as pastors all the time. And on that occasion, when I listened to her talk, my great concern was for her and for her relationship with her granddaughter. I wasn't thinking about the nature of the circumstances in that moment of time. All I was thinking about was how can I help this grandmother not to lose her granddaughter, who has already publicly turned her back on God and her back on God's design and in every other way. 
And in the course of that conversation, I said, you know, one of the ways in which to catch your granddaughter off guard is actually do the opposite of what she expects you to do. What does she expect you to do? Avoid her. Stay away from her. Don't get contaminated by the situation. I said, well, isn't that interesting? So what would happen if you actually went? Well, that gave great pause. And I said, but you should talk to your husband. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And those were all the caveats that went around the conversation. But then I said, well, I think you should go. And why don't you give her a gift? Well, how would I ever know that that would set the cat among the pigeons? Because after all, it was a personal conversation between myself and somebody that I've never met in my entire life. And it was born out of the kind of conviction that I was personally rec reckoning with myself. I don't like this. I'm opposed to this. I do not endorse this. I have no interest in this. But this is my granddaughter. Now, it's that context then that gave rise to that. In that conversation with that grandmother, I was concerned about the well-being of their relationship more than anything else, hence my counsel. Don't misunderstand that in any way at all. If I was on the receiving end of another question about another situation from another person in another time, I may answer absolutely differently. But in that case, I answered in that way, and I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says on the internet as of the last 10 days. If that were the case, I would never, if that were the case, I, would never, I should never have said it in the first place. If people want to, me to recant and to repent, to repent? I, I, I repent daily because I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I mean, check with Sue, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not ready to repent over this. I've lived here for 40 years, and those who know me best know that when we talk theology, when we talk stuff, I, I've always said, I am a little bit out of sync with the American evangelical world. For this reason, that I am the product of British evangelicalism, represented by John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Eric Alexander, Sinclair Ferguson, Derek Prime. I am a product of that. I have never been a product of American fundamentalism. I come from a world in which it is possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances in things. Those of you who are lawyers understand this. Everything is not so categorically clear that if you put one foot out of this box, you've got to be removed from the box forever. Loved ones, Phariseeism is alive and well in all of our hearts. We have to guard against it. The motivation for purity and holiness of life and circumspection and so on is absolutely unquestionable. The real challenge comes when we are confronted by issues that don't just fit our clean little categories. What distinguished Jesus from the Pharisees, quotes Dodd, was in a word, grace. The divine initiative which first seeks and then saves the lost sinner. Christ's fraternization with outcasts was interpreted by the Pharisees as an inexcusable compromise with sin. They did not see it for what it really was, an expression of the divine, divine compassion. So, for example, um, in the last days when this thing began, um, my daughter said to me, Dad, you were way ahead of this game a long time ago when Ellen DeGeneres came out and you preached those sermons on the gay debate. I mean, you've been so clear about this for all of your ministry. What is this about? I said, honey, I don't, I don't really know what it's about, but uh, yeah, that's right. And most recently, in dealing with Romans chapter 1. So I assume that anybody who picks this up goes, oh, well, wait a minute. Whatever, whatever he's on about there, there's no reason for alarm, because after all, listen to what he said. And this is what I said in Romans 1, talking about this very issue. Quotes, so here's the challenge. How do you do this? In other words, how do you, how do you express the love of Jesus and, and do so in a way that doesn't just compromise everything? How do you honor God, obey his word, and treat your neighbors and your friends and your family members who have decided to go down this wrong path? Some people have decided the way to handle it is by admonition. So you just simply stand up and keep telling them, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Some people have decided, well, we just won't say anything at all. Just let it go, who cares? You know, it's a big world. People do different things. 
Neither is a possibility for a Bible-believing Christian. We are to treat with honor those who view us with hatred. Now understand that this grandchild was an enemy of the gospel, an enemy really in the family circle by dint of her lifestyle, an enemy. And Jesus says, you're supposed to love your enemies. Now, we can disagree over whether I gave that grandmother good advice or not. Not everybody on the pastoral team thinks I gave very good advice. And as I said, uh, you know, on another occasion with a different person in a different context, the advice may be very different. But at least let's acknowledge the fact that what we're doing is we're wrestling with biblical principle. And when principle for, let's say, holiness of life comes up against the principle of love for your enemy, how are you, how are you gonna put that together? You got a problem with the grandmother showing up, sitting on the front row in a context that she absolutely despises, and sitting on our lap, nicely wrapped with beautiful paper and a bow around it, is her gift, the gift of a Bible. For a granddaughter, she knows, has no interest in the Bible. But because she believes that the entrance of God's Word brings light, she is prepared to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. What happens to homosexual people, in my experience, quotes, is that they are either reviled or they are affirmed. The Christian has to say, we will not treat you in either of those ways. We cannot revile you, but we cannot affirm you. And the reason that we can't revile you is the same reason why we can't affirm you, because of the Bible, because of God's love, because of his grace, and because of his goodness. And I expect people to, how do they decide which bit they're gonna troll through the social media, which bits they wanna pick up? Where were they when, when, when I was speaking at the Christian college on the West Coast, and I had a lesbian walkout? And they, they shut the whole thing down and walked out, and the campus went into chaos for a week. You know why? Because I was explaining Ephesians chapter 5. And I made the most unbelievable mistake of saying the only place for sexual relationships is within a heterosexual, monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for life. Amen. And at that, they stood up and walked out. Well, why didn't somebody catch that one for me? <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad they didn't, and I'll tell you why. Because if I've got to go down on the side of one or the other, I'll go down on this side. I'll go down on the side of compassion with people actually accusing me of just weakness rather than go down on the side of condemnation, which closes any doors of opportunity for future engagement with those who know exactly what we believe about the Bible and about Jesus and about so on. So, uh, you know, I, I hope that this is helpful. I, I think as long as you understand that my response to one grandmother whom I have never met um, was not in any way a blanket recommendation to all Christians to attend LGBTQ weddings. It was nothing to do with that at all. Uh, if I was misguided in any way, it was I allowed my grandfatherly hat to uh, take over. It was my personal opinion. I want to reiterate one more time before I discuss what I'm going to say next. Alistair Begg has been an incredible instrument for the kingdom of God. I know many of you have been richly rewarded by his work. I have been on a personal level. I was richly rewarded to hear what he had to say at an event I, we, both, we were both a part of last July here in Des Moines. I, I don't think this should disqualify any of the great work he's been a part of in the past. Because ultimately, the credibility of Alistair Begg's work, my own, or any believers, for that matter, if, if, whether you have a platform like Alistair Begg, like I do, or your platform is just your own testimony and your own walk, ultimately, the credibility of the Christian faith does not rely on us, does it? Does it? No. No. It, it's, it relies on Christ. 
So this doesn't take away any of the true things that Alistair Begg has said in the past because those things were true because they come from Christ, not from Alistair Begg. So I, I want to make sure we keep a perspective here. But I, I don't believe that Alistair Begg is guilty of error. I believe he is guilty of idolatry, and I'm going to explain why. And that's why I wanted to put this in idolatry or not. To make my point, let's put this in a different context. Would, if a grandmother had contacted Alistair Begg and said, my, my grandson, um, him and his uh, girlfriend were inspired by natural born killers. They saw that movie from 30 years ago with Woody Harrelson. And they went on a killing spree. And so far they haven't been caught, but they gave me the secret location for their wedding ceremony and they want me to come. Should I go? Do you believe Alistair Begg would have tried to find a third way for, for, to, to counsel a grandmother to go to the wedding of, his, uh, of her unrepentant serial killer grandson? Do you believe that? No. No. Neither do I. If a, if a grandson, if a grandmother said, you know, my grandson left his family, left his wife right after their baby was born, left his wife after the children are grown, she put him through med school, he became a successful doctor, started hooking up with his assistant or the head nurse who's 20 years younger, kicked his family to the curb, completely abandoned them, and sent me an invitation. Showed no repentance, no remorse at all for what they did, for what he did. But sent me an invitation to their wedding. Does anybody think Alistair Begg would counsel the grandmother to go to that? My no. grandson wants to marry my daughter-in-law. Correct. My grandson contacted, contacted me and said he wants to marry my other grandson. And they have invited me to go to the wedding. Should I go? Do you believe Alistair Begg would have told her to do that? No. No. I mean, these are crazy circumstances. They, they sound insane, frankly, and silly to even contemplate, right? right? Why? Why is that the case? I'm going to tell you why. Because you haven't been worked over by culture and a spirit of the age into accepting those things yet. That's why. That's why. There's no adultery club in the schools. Conditioning kids on, you know, how to do a great job stepping out on their spouses in the future. Great ways to, great ways, you know, we, we wanted the homosexuals to come out of the closet. Now we're going to show you adulterers how to stay in there and not get caught. Now make sure you got to get a burner phone. I mean, you see what, there's no, any curriculum for that in the schools anywhere? No. No. Uh, do we have an, do we have an incest pride month where grandsons can marry each other? I'm just being me. No, we don't have that. You know why it sounds crazy? Is it, be, is it because one sin is better or worse than the other? Is that why? It's the, the, the other suggestions I made sound crazy because culture hasn't rubbed us down to the nub yet of our resistance to evil. We're not desensitized to those things. We're not surrounded by them constantly and, and told that we must make accommodation for them. Otherwise, you're just not a good, decent person. 
And I, that's why nobody, nobody, no, Todd, nor Aaron, nor any of you listening right now believes Alistair Begg would counsel that you give accommodation for weddings that affirm those sins. We're only doing that here, here, because culture told us we had to. That's why it's not error. It's idolatry. And the way he has spun this, this is kindness. So I guess those of you who lost your businesses because you didn't want to serve flowers, you didn't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding, you lost your livelihoods, Baronelle Stutzman ought to be ashamed. She's unkind. She's mean. Now, Baronelle Stutzman is the one who was kind and was imposed upon for her kindness. She showed the kindness that was not deserved, the grace of God. It is not grace that separated Christ from the Pharisees. It's truth. Jesus does not say, I am the way, the grace, and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without truth, you will turn grace into an idol too. You'll make that about accommodation and affirmation. You want to know, you're five minutes away from becoming Rob Bell. That's the same mistake. It's truth. In fact, in one of his condemnations of the Pharisees, Jesus actually, uh, actually upholds the fact that they strictly were trying to keep the letter of the law. He doesn't say don't do that. He doesn't say don't count the tithe on the spice. He says the opposite. He says you should have done that while acknowledging the spirit of the law. What Alistair does there is he does the inverse of Pharisaism, but it's the same thing. He puts truth and grace in opposition, just the other way around. And it's not a coincidence that he does it on an issue that we are all being trampled underfoot and boot to the throated on. What did we talk about in the first segment? Exactly. This is idolatry. And frankly, here's, here's what my experience has been every single time. When there is a man that has long held the rope and then suddenly out of nowhere has a blind spot that you can't explain that doesn't line up with any of the rest of his work. It's I can't think of a time. It's not because he wasn't being challenged morally somewhere in his own private life. When I was going through my situation with whether to walk away from my marriage or not, with whether to make myself a statistic or not. The only thing I did right there, the only thing I did right there is I kept going to church. I kept reading the word. I kept talking to God. They weren't always pleasant conversations. They weren't always the most theologically precise, but they were real. And that's why a lot of you didn't know about this until after the fact. Because at that exact same time in my life that I was facing that compromised temptation, I was also doing probably the most important work I'll ever do in my entire career. That was at the height of our COVID work. Not a coincidence. Do you think it's even a coincidence that I was facing those challenges during that period of time? Probably not. And the only thing I did is I didn't let go of the rope. So I never was tempted to retcon my own sin. I knew I was sinning. I knew I was. What I didn't know if I was, is, is if I was strong enough to stop it. 
but I had I was never there was never a day that I came on the air. Go back and listen to those shows in the spring and summer of 2020. There will not be a day that I'll come on that I came on the air and suddenly just retconned what we all knew to be true and put it in some other context to justify myself. You won't find it. I didn't do that. And I think, frankly, that's why God was able to pull me out. Because I didn't do that. My heart wasn't hard. I didn't harden my conscience. And that would be my encouragement to all of you facing those kinds of compromises and situations. Once you begin to justify it, to retcon it, you're in a load of trouble. Keep it real. Keep it raw. Keep it honest. God's not shocked by what you're doing. He's not surprised you fell. He's God. The amount of times the pronoun I is used. The ironically, the only scripture that Alistair Begg specifically calls upon or cites is Ephesians 5. Shall I read for you some verses of Ephesians 5? Take no part in the unfaithful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, or redeem the time for the days are evil. I just quoted that verse at the start of the show today. That's from Ephesians 5, folks. Is, is that what counseling a grandmother to go and take part? This isn't a dinner. This isn't an event. This is a wedding. A sacrament specifically from the hand of God himself. From the heart of God himself. Defined by God himself. And what you are being asked to do is to go and fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, which are seeking to undo it and or redefine it, which is the same thing. And then to turn around and say, you're a fundamentalist. I'm here to tell Alistair Begg he's on a dangerous road. This is the kind of language that always leads someone at, when, they, when they embrace this. Alistair, you are not the standard. Just because you've been faithful so many years doesn't mean we just go ahead and ride this one out this one time. It's always a case-by-case basis. Until the race is over. There's never a moment where you've built up enough credibility that I don't get, I'm unchallengeable and there's no accountability. And if you don't see it that way, well, you're a Pharisee, you're unkind, you're ungenerous, you're uncompassionate, you're not as smart as me, you don't have the nuances that only I understand. Those are dangerous assumptions to allow into your conscience, brother. I don't care how many great books you've written, how many great sermons you've sold. That is a slippery slope. Be careful with that. Trust me. I'm in the public eye too. Frankly, I speak to more Christians a day than, Al- than Alistair Begg does on a platform of this size. I'm constantly tempted by that level of self-righteousness. 
constantly. I don't always resist it either. But my hope and prayer is that if I were tempted to go down that road, I would not be applauded by the people in this studio. But they would rebuke me as he was applauded while he was tempted to go down that road in that clip. Do you hear the congregation cheer? Of course. If I, I, my hope, if you guys are, if I, if you tell me now, if you don't have the balls to rebuke me, if I go down that road, otherwise, what are we even doing here? Agreed. That wasn't an exegesis. It wasn't a hermeneutic. It was an exercise in self-justification is what it was. And the irony of finally let me cite a scripture that, by the way, completely contradicts my own rationale. Your labels don't matter. I don't care if you're British evangelicals. Is there a wing of British evangelicals in heaven? Do you know? I mean, who cares? Who gives a rip about the title? Well, we've figured something out here. Who cares? God is not a respecter of persons. You can be an American fundy, American undie for that matter. God doesn't care. As Luther once pointed out, he spoke out of the back ass of a jackass once. He can speak out of anybody. Your title, tribe, movement, sect, denomination, heritage, legacy, tradition, none of that matters. No, you haven't arrived. No, you haven't figured anything out because none of us have. And we are all one very bad day away from becoming that which we hate. All of us are. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's the level of humility, not piety, that we require to constantly be reminded of that. Piety is self-righteousness. Humility is his righteousness. No. What you heard is not error. It is idolatry. And of that, we all have to repent. I'll let it go there. When we come back, Pop Culture Tuesday, stay tuned. Back in December, drug shortages hit a record high. This is causing some unfortunate disruptions in medical treatments. There can be delays, maybe even treatment cancellations. Maybe you might even see uh, the rationing of vital medications. Maybe even doctors forced to decide, hey, um, this patient needs this more than another one does. And when when we talk about short supply, um, how about important antibiotics like amoxicillin and 294 others? Uh, Make sure you've got preparation in your house for this with our friends at jace medical with the jace case uh this is where you get five essential antibiotics you can customize it now as well uh the medications that you want to make sure that you have just in case you one day run into a shortfall or someone you love you can gift a jace case is it uh for a loved one and a friend as well uh everyone should be prepared to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected as we learned just a few years ago. Listen, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but the last time we had a 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl, 
the rest of the year did not go well. <laughs> All right. So you never know. Okay. Um, Has anything gone well since then? Uh, that's a great point too. By the way, that's not Aaron's chief's fault that we have that again. That's my team's fault. They, they, they had a 17. They, the, they blew the biggest lead in championship game history. So that's not on Aaron's team. He's healing. Okay. That's me. That's on us. All right. So um, just make sure you're ready in all seriousness. It, it, it Make sure you're ready. And yes, Ivermectin can be a part of your Jace case as well. All right. Promo code DACE at checkout for a discount on your order. Promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, at jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com, promo code DACE. All right. We're going we're gonna to put off uh, Pop Culture Tuesday on the beekeeper which if you haven't seen it yet that'll help that'll stop me from also giving you mild spoilers basically hunter biden's in the movie and i'll leave it at that i mean it it's absolutely the the it's the it's the right wing revenge porn you probably need right now i mean it's cathartic it's cathartic it really it's extremely violent and everybody that that that, everybody deserves it okay they're everybody's terrible and um um i just i walked out of there hope filled and i'll leave it at that Let's. We were talking during the break, and there's a few more things we need to say about this Alistair Beck thing. So there's there's one last point I would like to make, and then I'm going to hand it over to uh, Todd and Aaron uh, for their perspectives. One of the one of the things that Alistair highlights in the clip there that we played is his strong desire for the grandmother not to lose her grandson. I I'm about to have my first granddaughter. I'm jumping out of my skin. I can't wait. All right. I mean, I cannot wait. I spoiled the heck out of my baby girls and enjoyed every minute of it. What I'm going to do for Autumn is going to make that. And that, I mean, that's, that's going to look like a vow of poverty. (laughs) Okay. I can't wait. All right. I can't wait. Okay. I can't wait. But I, I don't go to the church of Autumn Elizabeth Hibbs. And I don't go to the church of Anastasia Hibbs. And I don't go to the church of Zoe Dace. And I, I you know, I got my man, Noah. All right? Don't go to the church of Noah Andrew Dace either. I go to the church of Jesus Christ. The primary is- issue is not whether, is, is not for a pastor to help you. Doesn't, did I say it's not part of the mission? At all. Is that what I said? No. No. But the primary focus of a pastor is to help your relationship with Christ, not with other people or this world. And as you and I were talking during the break, Todd, I believe Christ also said, I um, don't think I came to bring peace or unity, but a sword. And, and that sword would be pitted against family members, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, the most intimate of relationships would be divided by truth. Jesus says to Pilate, for this reason I came into the world to testify to grace. Is that what he says? No. For this reason I came into this world to testify to the truth. What separated Christ from the religious leaders was not grace. It was truth. Without truth, we don't know what grace is. Without truth, your grace is going to look a lot like affirmation or accommodation, which is exactly what Alistair Begg does in that clip. That, grand, that grandmother was asking that question, why is she in conflict? She's in conflict because she feels like she's being asked to choose her Lord 
or her grandchild. Do you know do you know why she's feeling that conflict, guys? Because that's exactly what she's being asked to choose. It's not about not losing her grandson. It's about not losing your Lord. What her grandson is advocating is, is mutilating children as we speak, mutilating them. This would be like an Old Testament priest saying, by all means, go to the Asherah pole, the place of sexual questioning and investigation and, 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 and no ethics or rules at all. While your grandson is there, and bring him a gift. No. No. But you'll do that if your primary concern is your human attachment. You won't do that if your primary concern is the lover of your soul. All right. Now I'll hand it over to you guys. Well, I just echo couple points you made it, Alistair spends quite some time telling you about the context it's just one relationship here it's one letter if there's different context it's just my opinion well listen th- this opinion comes within the context of and Aaron alluded to this but what what we started off this show with a family in Montana having their child taken away mm-hmm. I have over no, this very thing. Yeah, over, I have no problem. What, what what do you think the odds are that that grandchild would be happy to want to knock on the door and take that kid away? See, that's the thing. He's arguing in this abstract context. Does he does he take off his sweater vest and get out into the world? Does he know how bad it is? Does he know how the demons are marching? It's insulting. It's absolutely insulting. I, I, I need, you need to get into that stinky stable where the Lord was born a little bit. This has become way too sanitized for you in your old age. I'm sorry. It just clearly has been. And there's, there's just, there's, there's Pope Francis level of confusion here. Just like it's, this does not apply. Do you know what the world is like out there? Secondly, that old age confusion, my wife God love her. She didn't hear the overtime. She didn't know the issue. So today, as I'm listening to the video, she's listening with me. And I just preface her. Okay, this is what happened in the past. So we listen. She's she's 50 years old. This is the first year she's uh, the 24 uh, or uh, read the Bible in one year. Mm-hmm. She's almost at the end of that journey. And we are halfway through this 13 minutes. And he's, you know, meandered. And she says... And we just had a Father PJ at, at Mass this last Sunday, perhaps prophetically, was talking about there's not an issue on the table that does not need to go through the lens of God. We've talked about this on the show before. We have all these issues over here we put aside, but that, that doesn't belong to God somehow. Every single issue, every single one. And so with that in the back of their mind, she's just halfway through this thing. 
she's like, Jesus said, father will be said against son. Mm -hmm. I said, honey, it's not more complicated than that. But this man who's been doing this for 40 years, look at, look at all the, the game of Tetris he's trying to play. Get that shape in there and get that one in there quick. It's, which goes back to Steve's point. We have to finish the race. This is why, quite frankly, as a Catholic, I don't, once saved, always saved. I just think it's malarkey. You, you got to finish the race. It's funny, too, when you talk about nuance, the first sermon Christ gives is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's actually clarifying all these nuances that have developed over centuries while the Jews were dispersed and the temple was gone. And now there's the local, there's the local synagogue system and these priests and these, and they've got their, and they've got their traditions of what all these things mean and all their clarifications and all their nuances. Uh, you have heard it say, but I say, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and these are like all very declarative, not easy, but simple statements. Okay. Similar to the first sermon that God basically preaches to Moses. There's just 10 commandments. There's not, there's not 10 nuances, 10 suggestions, 10 tryhards. Okay. Commandments. I'm pretty cut and dried. It is the seeking of nuance. Brother, and I say this, I say this man to a, a guy I respect. The serpent shows up in the garden seeking nuance. Did God really say, let's discuss. Well, now that we're in the real world here, you know, how's this going to work? You know? Now the, now the tree's here, you know, I mean, what do we do with it? Just got to go ahead and just, you know, it, there's got to be more nuance to this. No, 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 there's not. When we go looking for nuance is when we go looking for trouble. And before I throw it to you, Aaron, I just got this text from uh, Anastasia, my oldest. She says, the irony of Alistair Begg using the story of the prodigal son is that the son wasn't celebrated and welcomed back because of his sin. He was welcomed and celebrated because of the repentance yes. of his sin. Yeah. The father didn't join him or affirm yeah. him in his son. Uh, that's why the son was lost and then found. The father goes to the very edge of then what would violate his yeah. own integrity. He goes to the edge of that property line is a, is a metaphor. He goes as far as he can go. All right. Without affirming and his son and compromising his own integrity. As far as he can go, he goes all the way to the property line to wait for his son. But the son has to repent and leave the sty that he is in and come to him. Yeah. Excellent point, sweetie. A no, I'm sorry, Aaron. My, <laughs> my, my, my fictional son. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, let's begin here. So Alistair Big obviously believes that in certain circumstances, a person, a family, a family member, a parent or grandparent could ruin their testimony, their Christian witness with another family member should they choose the path of inaction and not showing up to a wedding. It's not a wedding ceremony, what have you. That's, that's his contention. In some circumstances, it may be permissible because you don't want to ruin your testimony, your witness with that family member. Aside from the fact that I disagree with that, I'd say it's wrong, and I'd say you're elevating yourself, your actions in that circumstance with the work of the Holy Spirit. Putting that aside, I want to ask this question to Pastor Begg. Let's pretend that grandmother goes to the so-called transgender wedding ceremony for, his, for her grandson, granddaughter, whatever it was. 
and she's sitting in the front row with her exquisitely wrapped gift of a Bible. And at the end of the ceremony, when the Unitarian Universalist lesbian a priestess gets up and says, I pronounce Z and Zer, I, I pronounce these uh, people Z and Zer, you may kiss your non-binary two-spirit lizard person. And everybody gets up to clap. Should that grandmother get up to clap? After all, the argument here is, if you don't attend, you're hurting your testimony. Is not clapping and sitting down while everyone stands up, is that hurting your testimony as well? That's a great point. This thread never mm -hmm. ends. No. So, Because this is what happens when we seek nuance. Exactly. We just keep following rabbit yeah. trails yeah. rather than the narrow road. That's why. Yeah. It, it is not nuanced. His point about Jesus associating with the outcasts is true. I want you to listen to this very carefully. The LGBTQI plus whatever, speaking of nuance, the gender spectrum, they are not outcasts. They are celebrated. They are venerated in this culture. They are not the outcasts. The great lie is that they are. Now that's Herod's palace. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're the elites. They are the elites. Yes. They are celebrated in this culture. And this gets back to what Todd was saying. Do you not understand that, Pastor Beg? So that is, I'll end with this. Intentions, I believe Pastor Beg's intentions are probably pure here. Mm -hmm. I will believe, I, I believe that. But intentions are never, well, I shouldn't say never, but intentions are not guaranteed outcomes. Your intention, Pastor Beg, is that this grandmother would not ruin her Christian witness with her grandson, granddaughter, what, whatever it was. That's your intention. I go back to the summer of 2020 here in Des Moines during the racialist riots and a group of racialist orcs gathered in our East Village, which is right in front of the state's capital, and gathered along the other side of the street was a large group of police in riot gear. And this, I think they had already rioted. I think they had already, uh, already done some damage to downtown Des Moines at that point, but they were gearing up for another, uh, another night of that. And the police took a knee and kneeled in front of this mob. I actually applauded it at the time. And I did not. Mm -hmm. And the intention of the police was to signal non-aggression, we're part of this community. Yep. We're all part of this community. That's together. why I applauded it. Yeah. And some of the people in the, the crowd of orcs applauded it. And then what did they do that night? They smashed some more windows. They got and, up. And to, I learned my lesson. Got up to no good. Yeah. Yeah. So your intentions may be pure. How it is received by the world is actually bending the knee. Mm -hmm. Because to the world... The LGBTQIA, whatever that is, the rainbow flag, are not outcasts. They are actually in control. They are actually the ones who are celebrated. They are the elites, as you just put it, Steve. So I'm just very disappointed. Very disappointed. And it makes me sick. And it doesn't take away any of the truth that has been unleashed from Pastor Begg over uh, the last few decades. Um, but it is a cause for concern going forward. 
if you look at, that is extremely well said, brother. Amen. You know, it's, it's interesting whom Jesus chooses to speak to during his, his imprisonment and trial and who he does not. And then what he chooses to say. When, they summon him. The Pharisees summon him. He is silent until they finally ask him, who are you? Then he speaks. The Sanhedrin. When he goes to Herod's palace, he's summoned and says nothing. This, this, this grandmother is being summoned by that same spirit of the age. Show us that you dance to our tune. And essentially what he's coaching our people to do is to do it. Book of Hebrews begs to differ. Romans 8.28. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.